0: All right. Ve'haya im shamot yishme'u al mitzvosai. It shall be if you will surely listen to the mitzvos. Asher nochi mitzaves ram hayom, which I am commanding to you today. La'ahavo as Hashem lo to love Hashem your God will and to serve Him bechol levavchem uvechol nafshechem, with all of your hearts and all of your souls. Vinosati mitar artzechem beito. This is mostly what we spoke about last week. I shall give the reign of your land in its time. Yo Malkosh, early rain and late rain. and you shall gather your grain, v'si and your vine produce, v'yitzarecha, and your olive harvests. And we had previously, um, we remembered, and we also had talked about in some length, in, in the introduction to Im Shamoah, Um, this idea that, well, this is you doing work to do the harvest, so it's not that Hashem is just providing it, but he is providing the plenty that you gather in, and sort of over here is where you have this whole discussion in the Gemara. Is it that a person's supposed to only learn and only serve Hashem in that way through Torah, and Hashem will provide for him, or is a person supposed to serve Hashem with Torah and Derech Eretz, both. And it works more, has been more successful for more people combining them and so on. All right, so I want to begin, sorry, um, I want to introduce today, today we're, gonna, uh, we're still gonna talk about Benasathi mitar artzachem, that Hashem will give the rain and hopefully also come to the end of this Pesach. Rabbeinu Bachya brings, I will give the rain of your land in its time at the times when it is best just one second. to do the planting or the sowing of the seeds Honestly, I just realized um, that I didn't turn the phone off and that you should find in them ruach, pleasure I assume that at least on the simple level, what he's saying here, and that's based on the other things that he'll bring over here, the rain will come at a time when it is both comfortable for you and convenient, or at least not inconvenient, right? Because it won't come when you need to be out there planting. It'll rain at night. And it'll rain at the times that are good and convenient for you. Because, for example, if it comes, if it rains too early, then the ground may be all dried out by the time you're planting. Or if it rains too soon or too hard, right after you've planted, then it may wash all the soil away from the seeds, and then they still won't grow. So that the rain will come at the time that's best in terms of the growth of the, of the seeds and also the convenience and comfort of the people. Be'itam, in their times, and I, I don't know... I'm, I'm assuming that there is a specific reason why Chazal tie it to the word in its times. Like the, the, usually with a Chazal, there'll be some other hint in the gematria or it's a Roshi Tevos or something that will tell you how they got from here to there, or at least why they connected it here. So far, I didn't see that. So Chazal just say, but without me understanding why the connection is right here, Wednesday nights and Shabbos nights. That Twice a week. In the days of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, uh, sorry, Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, the rains would come down on Wednesday nights and Shabbos nights, regularly. In the, ra- the rainy season started, and it would rain. Every Wednesday night, every Saturday. You could make plans. You could say, we're going to have a, uh, a shear. Don't make it Wednesday night, make it Thursday night. That way it won't rain. Or make it Tuesday night. Right? You could schedule your life around the fact. And also, it's at night, when fewer people go out anyway. So it's the least inconvenience to the greatest number of people. So this was on a schedule. And because there was this plentiful rain at the perfect spacing, the grains of wheat grew to be the size of kidneys. Now this, I didn't like to do research on this. Let me just tell you what it says. It says, barley grains were like the pits of olives. Now, that's big, but that's not, I mean, if you look at our barley and our olives, olive pits, it's not logarithmically huge. It's like double, right? Maybe in a biggest case scenario, it's five times the size. So let's say it wasn't the pits of the olives. It was the whole olive. It doesn't seem to be the scale. Maybe the a olives wheat and a bigger bar- five minutes. Exactly. So we have this idea with olives. Yeah. So this is just me talking, though. I don't, I don't have anything to tell you about this like, specific chazal over here, but we know that when we say that you have to eat a kazayas of something, it's much closer to the size of what we would call an egg than what we would call an olive. And what's called an egg-sized volume in Gemara is much larger than what we call an egg-sized volume. So things have, I mean, even with eggs, obviously, there's a lot of e- variation, even in eggs. Now, we don't know that because we buy them in the supermarket. So they put into the boxes the eggs that are all within a certain range of size. But the truth is, eggs come in very small sizes, and there's even bigger ones. And, but the olives, our olives are f- not huge variation in size, and it's much smaller than the halachic size of an olive. This may explain a little bit why, because you're saying that a wheat grain became the size of a kidney, that's like, this is quite a big difference. Yeah, a kidney in a person? Or a kidney, kidney. Okay. I don't think a claya is called a, that's, I don't think that's a kind of a bean. That's in English you call it a kidney bean because it's shaped like a kidney, right? And then the barley is the size of an olive would be a much less of a blessing description. And adoshim, lentils, so that's, right, were the size of golden dinars. So... I I would guess a golden dinar probably isn't so huge, because gold is very expensive. Could be that this is increasingly smaller examples. I don't really know too much about what this is saying. Only that the sizes of the vegetables, and it wasn't considered miraculous that they grew that way. What's miraculous is the rain. In other words, if Hashem would send us the exactly right amount of rain at exactly the right intervals... During the right seasons, the food would naturally become much bigger. It would grow better. Who was just telling us, in the last few days, that there are these different, all kinds of different, like reptiles and things that will only grow as large as the container they're kept in. That they it, we talked they'll about limit. We're the talking. We I'm, talked about that at I'm the trying table. to remember what the reason was that we were talking about it, but right that that they'll their own size, and that's not because of their nourishment. It's not that they, you know, but that somehow the actual size they're in will control It's almost like there's programming that makes it possible to get much bigger. It kind of reminds me of my mother used to always talk about how in Japan, the people her generation, the men were really very small. Women also. The men were very, very short. My mother often was taller than most men. Now, in my generation, the men are very tall. Like, I don't know what the average is, but I wouldn't be surprised if the average height of a Japanese man now is greater than the average height of an American man. Because Japanese, like, boys who were my age are all, like, six feet tall. They got really tall. And it happened in a single generation. And so there wasn't, it's not that there was a genetic change. You know, I my mom always attributed it to the milk, that once the Americans came in and occupied Japan, so they brought in milk and there there's not you know they don't have a lot of like pasture land. So they never had a great number of like cows and goats and things to uh, milk is just not a staple. I don't know if that's actually what they've discovered to be the source of it, but it happened in a single generation. So it was clearly something where you had genetically there you're programmed to be much taller than what people were achieving because the genes were there and as soon as something was provided, then the heights went up like by a foot in a generation. So here, what's being described to us is not so much that it was miraculous the size of the fruits and vegetables, but what's miraculous is everything coming exactly right and exactly when you need it. And then you see that actually just the capacity within nature is so much more than what we would have thought it was. We didn't even know you could hope or daven for such a thing we would have been perfectly satisfied to have a bumper crop of wheat kernel-sized wheat kernels and barley kernel-sized barley and lentils the size of lentils. And we would have thought that was a big blessing. There is more blessing hidden and waiting to come out for us than what we realize. And the Chachamim drew from this an image, meaning they they said this is a... Something you have to visualize, L'Doros, for all generations to come. Lahodia kama Gorim. Realize how much sin causes, the damage that it causes. To understand that in our relationship with Hashem, it's causing an actual effect. And part of it is because we haven't seen the way it could be, we don't realize what we were missing. A little bit like the generation that came back with the second Beis HaMikdash where the old men cried at the dedication and the young men were singing and dancing. The old men were crying because they remembered the first Beis HaMikdash. The young men were were singing and laughing and rejoicing in the new one and they didn't have an old one to compare it to. So we're sort of, we rejoice in our small blessings, which is great, we should, but it also shows our youth and our ignorance of what really could be there for us now i think that we can also understand this better in light of an explanation given by Rav shimon schwab i'm going to read it from the hebrew because he delves into it at a different level he does bring this idea in Rav schwab on prayer and i actually copied it to have it here but then i realized that i think the angle that he, the the degree to which he takes it over here is even more helpful. Uh oh. Did I just skip a whole bunch of stuff? I did. Uh oh. Uh oh. Okay, we'll come back to it. Wow. I put my bookmark in the wrong place and what happened? Okay. Yeah. It's going to be the backwards share, backwards day. Okay. Now this pasuk, I'll bring rain in its time, that is a continuation of the pasuk before it, which is that if you will listen to Hashem and serve him with all your heart, and Chazal have said, Eso how do you serve Hashem with your heart? This is prayer. This is, you can't just ignore, you can't just explain this pasuk in a vacuum you have to use the context you say you have to serve Hashem with all your heart which is prayer and all your soul and I will send rain rain in its right time that is a result of prayer in fact this is the Baal HaTurim says on this verse he says the connection between these verses is that you're not answered to receive rain unless you daven for it with your whole heart. You can't just rattle off the words asking for rain and expect there to be rain. Rain specifically requires the heart, because it's a avoda balev. It's an avoda of the heart. But wait a minute. What if I have a lot of kavanah, and I'm really davening well, but that person over there is not as, am I going to get the rain and that person is not going to get the rain? How, how so you if you're like? at the level of, uh, well, who was it? Hanina Bendosa. So yeah. You'll get the rain when it's good and convenient for you, and they won't. Ramban says that for Tzadikim and risha'im, it will be that sort of instantaneous on-off effect. And for the Beinonim, it's as a group. Meaning the Klal has a has a zechus or a level that they're at and that the rain for the Klal goes according to that. It's very different than when, like, everybody may have had their own farm plot, and right. nowadays, you know, we're just, like, dominating yeah. the big farmers in the Central So we're going to talk <laughs> about that a little bit. We are going to talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you, R- Rav Schwab talks about that. He says, wow. a conservative rabbi came to him and said, yeah, but now we're not an agricultural society. So, okay. But we're not going to get to that yet. Namar, Una namhar become a makomos. He says, on this idea, the fact that Rain at its right time is a result, a direct result of prayer, is in many places. For example, as we have mentioned many, many times, Adam Harishon, where it says in Bereshon, all the vegetation of the fields was not yet showing on the land, and it hadn't yet sprouted, because Hashem didn't send rain to the land, because there was no person, La as Sadama, to do that avoda of the ground. And Hazal said that we learn that everything sprouted right up to the the threshold of the earth and waited for Adam HaRishon to ask for Rachamim and then the rains came and everything sprouted to teach us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu God desires the prayers of the righteous. And we should explain this. He says, It seems that it would be quite wondrous to all who see it. Ma'shumat Hu nikra seems very odd, it's this idea that Hashem desires the tefillos of the righteous. We call Hashem Kel a God who, who seems to love that we praise Him. Or that we say every day that HaKadosh Baruch is HaBolcher V'shi Zimra. He chooses to be praised with songs of praise, meaning the songs of David Amelech. And Chazal have told us that HaKadosh Baruch desires the prayers of the righteous. But Hashem is not a person who requires praise in order to compensate for his feeling of, of lack. Let alone, you know, let alone any actual lack. HaShem, who is Baruch, God on high, is Shalem betachlis haShlemus. He is completely complete in the ultimate definition of that. What, what possible uh, addition could be made through the act of our praise or, um, or glorification of him, even were we perfect creatures ourselves at some level, like the Malachim, let alone very finite and messing up kind of creatures who live in darkness and the shadow of death, which is what we are. So the explanation is that Hakkadesh Baruch Hu created a world according to a certain plan. And the plan is Shehya Barkayama Mine Uve. That each species and type should be more or less self-sustaining. Now by self-sustaining he doesn't mean that we don't need anybody. Hello. Because that wouldn't make sense, and it doesn't fit in everything else we know about how the world is created that everything is lacking. What it means is that Hashem provides every creature with its food, and the creature can go and get what it needs. So most creatures, or nearly all creatures, do not rely on some other thing to bring it their food. A dog is perfectly, so he gives examples. He'd be a Hashem gave an instinct to each and every type of creature, to know how to nourish and get its own parnassa. If They're born knowing what to go chase and hunt and, and eat, what's good for it, what's not good for it, and in this way it can, it can find its own food. So each one does require other creatures in order to get its nourishment as nourishment. So for example, an animal that eats grass, and that's how it sustains its body. And afterward, it puts out a manure, uh, it excretes manure that will go into the fields and help replace and that nourishes the grass. So the grass is gaining from the animal. Now I'm not sure he's per se. Well, he, he really is. He, the next example he also gives also with bees. They suck the nectar from the flowers. And in the process of doing this, they also help the flowers to grow more by pollinating them. So he's saying even more that it's symbiotic, that each one, on the one hand, is given the instinct and the knowledge to go find its own food. And in doing that, it's even, it, it automatically helps the other one, but without thinking about it. And that even causes more food for itself. It's a feedback loop. So the more that the bee is getting nectar, the more flowers are produced that will then provide more nectar. And the more that the animal eats the grass and grazes, the more grass will be able to grow. Now there's an exception here. There is a creature that doesn't know how to go around and doesn't know what it needs to go and eat and find has to work on on creating the food. The food doesn't just... We can't just go around plucking what we need since we left Gan Eden. And furthermore, who's the, who's the symbiotic relationship? What what does man have to connect to? He says, for that, our our partner in our nourishment is the Shefa Eloki, the outpouring of divine bracha, the influence and the pouring forth of divine blessing. Adam <speaking in Spanish> davar. When people ask Hashem for what they need, Hashem, as it were, takes the prayers and praises themselves, and uses them as the means of nourishing and providing all of the Shefa. In the same way, So you can compare that to any other creature. It goes, it finds its source of nourishment, and in the process of getting it, it re... What what would be the word? Regenerates. It recharges. Yeah. It it recharges. It causes a perpetuation of the food source. So are we to understand, because we're the Jewish people, are doubting for ourselves, but we spend sukkahs blessing the other nation, because they don't know right. the system. Right. So the principle is, and I, I've, I would never say this on my own, like I have already from two or three different sources, when we daven, in almost all cases, there are, are exceptions, but they are few, when our language is always in the plural. Right. So we know this because we're not only davening for ourselves, we're davening for others, that others includes all of humanity. That, which is a little surprising, because in a way you would expect it to be, you know, dominating for the Jewish people, and whatever. We're actually dominating for all of and humanity. Yeah, great lesson to yeah. no, no, it's important to Tell realize. People, it just yeah. the so it's from many different, like yeah. many different sources that I've now come across, and they'll sometimes they'll bring it in the exception. I saw it in from Rav Chaim Kanievsky. I heard it, Rabbi Orl, not Rabbi Orlovsky. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Rabbi Reisman, who said it based on a conversation he had with the Skvera Rebbe, an answer Skverer rabbi gave to him on a question on Birkas Hamazon, that he answered it by saying, oh, because over here we're specifically talking about a blessing only for the Jewish people, as opposed to the rest of it, of the Brachos. Um, Rav Berkowitz also says it on Shmona Esrei and on his introduction to tefillah. Like, it's pretty, pretty clear. That, in fact, our plural in our davening is not just us, it's not just our family, it's not just our nation. And that's this whole idea of returning the world to a state of tikkun is not only the Jewish people will return to God, but that all of the world will be returned to him. I, saw, I, I just saw another thing like this. Somebody asked, oh, somebody asked a famous Haredi Datilumi, as they say, right? So a Zionist who who's very respected in Israel, somebody asked him... Maybe it was like about, should, should they daven? I'm trying to remember what the question was. Should daven to Hashem for the downfall of the Rishayim or something like that? And he said, we cover that already when we say Aleinu. Um, that They will turn towards, all the Rishayim of the land will turn towards God. In other words, they will turn away from their wickedness and they'll turn towards Him. They will recognize and know all the inhabitants of the world that to you they should bow on <coughs> knees and swear allegiance. He said there's no need to add to the words of Aleinu. <laughs> it's perfectly adequate for the purpose, right? Which is interesting. I think they were saying, should we daven that all the wicked people should die or something? So it's enough enough to say Aleinu. don't have to daven that they die. Hashem, you Make Hashem happier if you daven that they should turn to Him. And the fact is probably in the lead up... To that time of Mashiach probably really people a lot of non-Jews probably will die. But we ho- that's not what we're dominating for. What's better for Hashem? You should have more people that recognize them or less people that obviously like if you <laughs> and it's Hashem's children and that's you know you hope for the best. Okay. And that's Hashem uses our prayers as this as the fuel so to speak to be mashpia all of the the Shafa bracha, whether it's spiritual or physical. Because because that is his will. So you can't go more than that to explain it. That's his will. That's how he created the world. But what we see is that's how he created the world as a whole. For example, you could compare it to the people, the citizens of a country who pay taxes to the king, and he uses the taxes to support the people. So everybody puts in tax money, but that tax money goes toward maybe some kind of welfare benefits, and it goes toward, toward benefits of the people themselves. It's not, he's not using the money to benefit himself. And this relationship between the one who davens to a Baruch Hu creates a bond between Hashem, who provides the blessing, and the person who receives the blessing, which is so good from him. This is a really interesting different kind of relationship between man and Hashem versus any other... Creature or animal and its food source, which is provided for it by Hashem, right? We say Hashem provides for all of His creatures. <inaudible> so, He's given us, excuse me, two two uh, models to compare it to. One is the way that animals get their sustenance, and one is to compare it to paying taxes, and then the tax money itself is used for the benefit of the people. But now he's going to say there's a mushal for, for this whole idea, which is rain. Rain comes down from heaven. In When I was in first grade, they taught it to us as the rain cycle, the water cycle, right? They teach it to you every few years. Some teacher gets, I was going to say inspired, but it's more like they didn't prepare a lesson and then they teach you about the water cycle again, right? So the rain rains from heaven. It starts off coming up as evaporated water moisture off of the earth. And then it gathers into clouds in the sky. And the clouds also uh, drink. They also receive water from the waters of the ocean, in addition to the moisture that they pull out from the air, or that condenses into them, I guess would be the word, from the air. And he gives us a source in Gemara and Tynis, if we want to look up the water cycle. And afterward, it rains back down again. Kasher yerid hageshem v'ashal and that's what causes moisture. So the earth itself is providing the moisture, which then is returned from the clouds as moisture. Similarly with tefillah. All of the hashpa from heaven comes through the tefillahs of those who daven on earth, which rise up. So, If you picture everything Hashem sends us to nourish us, to sustain us, to provide for us, to give us energy in order that we should be able to turn around and praise Him and thank Him. This is a a different way of thinking about the same thing we've basically been talking about for several years. That our job is to declare Hashem and reveal Him through His actions on earth and through His providence for us. But this is something a little bit, like a different way of thinking about it. We daven. That's the fuel that, be, that becomes, the, the prayers go up, and they are condensed. They're turned into blessing, which comes back down. So and we receive it, and we, send the, we have to receive the blessing and send it back. What to say, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for what you've provided and how it lets me serve you and how it lets me praise you. I can praise you through my actions. I can praise you through my words, which goes back up again and becomes more rainfall of blessing. Sorry, what were you going to say? It's that kind of Yeah, except I guess, you know, when you think of Mida you Mida. You think of two separate things, but that are somehow perfectly aligned. Here, he's saying it's the same thing. That the water moisture evaporates from the earth, gathers in the clouds, and rains back to the earth. And that this is our prayers, that the prayers themselves come to heaven, And Hashem takes the prayers and sends them back to us, so to speak, as the, it's a cycle. It's the rains. I never thought I would ever have any use back on the water cycle, (laughs) but turns out, and this starts to make it really clear, right, this idea that it all started with the vegetation didn't grow because there was no rain. There was no rain because there was no person to recognize you need the rain to start that whole cycle going. It's specifically the rain. Therefore, the Torah emphasize, emphasizes that the influence or the shefa, the, the blessing of the rains, depends upon the prayers of people. That is why the Torah says, if you will do the mitzvos and serve Hashem with all your heart and all your soul, what service is of the heart, that is prayer, then venosati mitar atzachem I will give you the rain of your land in its time. It is a direct outcome of the prayer. Directly, in the merit, he it, it, it says in the merit, he seems to be saying more than just the merit, right? Mm-hmm. Through the brachos and hodaos and the praise, there, this triggers, this causes the downpouring of bracha below. And therefore, chazal were Makbid. Chazal told us that if somebody skips saying Mashi and Mori which is what we just started saying at Shmini or they skip saying when the time comes, which where we live it doesn't has not yet come, Lo yatza so. you haven't fulfilled your obligation to daven. Right, you have to go back and do it over again. How could you understand that? He says, that's not true if you miss other words of Shmona Esrei. You miss other words of Shmona Esrei, you don't go back and you don't say, you didn't daven. Go back and do it again. This was another question that somebody asked. This was Rabbi Aviner. This is the, the Zionist rabbi that I was mentioning. He's a very famous poet. Yeah. Somebody asked Rabbi Aviner. I, uh, I davened. I had like a really amazing Shmona Esrei. A lot of kavana. a lot of thought, a lot of heart. And when I got to the end of it, I realized I didn't say, mm-hmm. does, my, does my prayer have any value? He said, it definitely has value, but you haven't said Shemona Esrei, and you have to go back and do it again anyway. <laughs> you know, like there's value there. But you didn't say the Shrona Estra," you had to say. Got to go back. Okay, why just those words? Oh, now I start to understand. That isn't true of other words of the prayer that you have to go back and daven again. It's because Hatfila alhamatar he ikar Hatfila, that in at some level praying for rain is the main thing about prayer. dugma lechol inyan Hatfila, not because the only thing that we pray for is rain, but because it is the primary case. It is the key example and precedent, not just precedent, it is the key example of all of tefillah. All of tefillah emerges out from the idea of the davening of the rain. Gamsha tefillah al Haisa ha That is the very first prayer that Adam harishon prayed at the time that the world was created. So that, I think, is a very helpful and different kind of visual for understanding our blessings, our brachos, and yet it builds on everything else that we know. And maybe that's why Hashem caused me to say these pieces in the opposite order because it sheds a lot of light on what I'm going to say now, which I was going to use as an introduction to what we just said. But now we will be a follow-on. Okay. This is from the Medrash Tanfuma and Marsha's I break all the rules, you know. You're never supposed to apologize when you speak. <laughs> <laughs> a human being hurt somebody... At, attacks, or, or not attacks, uh, he causes a wound with a knife. Umarpeh birritia. And heals with a ritia, which fortunately the place where I went to look up this gemara, actually was, it was online in it. Because I went to look up the language of it, and it had a thing you could click on it, and it gave you the translation. Ritia, a cloth smeared with a salve, or a bandage. Okay? So some kind of band, medicated bandage. That's what you heal with. So you hurt someone with the knife, but you don't heal them with the knife. You heal them with, like, you know, neosporin and antibiotic cream and a bandage. HaKadosh Baruch Hu But Hashem is not like this. Ella bimaka shemaka bo The With that which he hit, that is what he heals with. With the same thing. So, for example, when the people came to a place that in the Torah is called Mara, They couldn't drink the water because it was so bitter. So, uh, Moshe expected that Hashem would tell him, throw honey into it, or throw things into it, (laughs) something sweet. Because that's what people would do. And then the water would be sweeter. Throw sugar in, and it won't taste so bitter, it'll taste sweet. Now, the truth is, you didn't take away any bitterness. What you did is you covered it up with sweetness. But that's what, how people do these things, right? You taste it, it's too bitter, add some more sugar. But look what it says over there. Vayitzak Moshe el Hashem, Vayorehu Hashem eats." Moshe cried out to Hashem, and Hashem, presumably it means Hashem showed him wood, or Hashem showed him a tree. But the word Vayorehu doesn't have an olive in it, like Lirot or Laharot, to show. It's Yorehu more like to teach or to demonstrate. Like Moreh is a teacher, right? Torah is what teaches us. So Hashem taught him or indicated to him the tree. Amar le'cha What this tells us is that Hashem was saying to Moshe, "Ein darchi kemidas My way is not the way of people. Now you have to learn. Vayorehu. Hashem educated him with the tree. He taught him something. What is he teaching him? Vayorehu Hashem Eitz. Vayorehu them nemar. It doesn't say he showed him. It says Vayorehu. He educated him or taught him. Horehu bidrachav. He taught him how to go in Hashem's ways. What's Hashem's ways? That it was bitter. And what did Hashem cure the bitter water with? A bitter tree. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said, Come and see how wondrous are God's ways more than people's ways. Because people use sweetness to cure that which is bitter but Hashem with the bitter cures that which is bitter and that creates a miracle within a miracle to so take that which is damaging and add more of that which is damaging and through this you cause the correction this is miracle upon miracle it's interesting I'm just thinking I got stuck on this because I saw a very similar language brought in Abu vudraham, Abu vudarham on benching, when we had this idea of the, the Birkas Hamazon with the present, past, future, and then the, all three together in the fourth bracha. That fourth bracha is Hatovah Hametiv, which is what we say for something very, very good. And it was said on the occasion of burying the dead of Betar. They had been dead for quite a long time. I forget if it was one year or three years. And so the first miracle is they got permission to bury them. And the second miracle was that the bodies had not decomposed and rotted. And this is Hatava uh, Al Hatava. It's called something like that. It's it's not it's a similar idea here, a miracle on a miracle. And therefore the Bracha tova ametiv, which is an interesting case by itself. Like so, how do you say a tova on that? They should have said Brahpayananas on that, right? It's it has to do with with really seeing things from the broadest possible level, like what Reverse said about Tov and Ra. If we could see Ra from a much broader perspective, we would see that it's Tov and even tov me'od. Right? That's the same idea, that, the same way that we bless for that which is good, we bless for that which is bad. That's why we say Baruch Dei but that's only now. And once you have Geula, you say atova HaMeitiv on everything. Why? Because you can see things that way. Nowadays, we don't see it that way. Anyway, I'm sure they're connected. Amr Baruch Hashem said to Moshe, lo Umani umanusi. This is not the way that I do things. El and that which I hit with is that which I care with. Similarly, tzaddikin. That which they damage with is that which they repair with. A righteous person fixes the damage he does with the same tool that he caused the damage. What's an example? Moshe made a mistake using the word az. He said, Bati Paro, He came to God and complained. He said, I, I don't I don't get your ways, God. You told me to go to Paro, I go to Paro, and may from then that I spoke to Pharaoh. Now it's worse. Now they don't give them straw, right? It's much worse than it was before. the az I messed up I sinned with us I need to use the word us to repair it and therefore he sang shira and he begins with us yashir moshe mm-hmm. then with the same word he says I have to I have to repair at the source where the problem was I have to reformulate that and I have to change the way the thinking is at the root mm-hmm. in the same place that caused the damage I have to put the fix it has to be there and that has, from there has to come the repair okay there are three keys. The Gemara time, it says there are three keys that God holds in his own hand. Familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Okay? And uh, he doesn't give them over to the hands of a shaliach. and if he does, it's only very briefly. The key of rain, the key of life, meaning when people are born or of birth, and the key of tcheh how do you know that Hashem holds the key of rain in his old hand own hand? As it says, Hashem Hashem will open for you his storehouses of good. To give matar beito, to give the rain of your land in its time. It's very similar to this Pasuk. Hello? You okay? Why rain? So I'm not really going to tell you something new at this point, but the way he says it is so beautiful. This is Rabbi Moshe Eisman. He wrote an amazing little book. Everyone, every he's got these little tiny books, and every one of them is such a gem. It's very much that Yekish style of writing, mm-hmm. and it's poetry. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I copied down some of it. I highly recommend it. They're just a little hard to get. Like Either they have them or they don't have them kind of thing or you buy it used, like this. This one's called The Listening People, and it's only about Shema. There's another one's of Parents and Penguins, I think. There's a bunch of different ones on parenting. They're not long books, but they're, they're very readable and very uplifting, and they're all honed in on these points. Okay, so why rain? He says, rain is now being put in the company of birth and resurrection. Now, what are birth and resurrection? They are the interface between the divine and the mundane. Birth, I mean, talking about somebody going from life in (coughs) spiritual, birth is the boundary crossing into life in the physical world. Resurrection is really that same boundary, crossing from life in the spiritual back to life in the physical world. And then rain, which you wouldn't think is on the same level. He says, rain is a package of love sent from above. A kiss from God's own lips breaking through to earth from heaven. This is the promise, the warning, and the challenge of this parsha the Hayaim Shamoah. If you act as you should act, then each benign raindrop will be a missive of approbation sent directly by God. Kisses, little kisses, which is another great way to imagine, right? If not, the arid wastes into which you have turned your paradise will be eloquent reproach. And this is why this paragraph ends with Kimei ha-shamayim like the days of the heavens over the earth. Now, we understood that to mean like forever and ever or for a really, really long time. But this is the only place apparently in Tanakh where this phrase is used. Kimei ha-shamayim. We're accustomed to it because we say it twice a day. <laughs> but it's actually very, it's not common. It should have been something like or, or something like that, generations. It doesn't say that. He says that's why, because and Aretz, this is the relationship of the rain from the heaven to the earth. Shemayim al ha'aretz, the heavens over the earth. The heaven and the earth are the partners. They're the components for living life in the presence of God. It's life in the spiritual world, life in the physical world. And you have to perform in the physical world to attain greater life in the spiritual. And these are, these are the partners for doing it. Heaven sends the blessing, is the source of the blessing. The earth has to receive the blessing. The rain is the messenger and medium of the divine blessing. So this is, this, this is crossing that boundary, is the rain. And that's why rain is in the category of birth and resurrection. Yeah, very beautiful. Okay, so coming back to Rav Schwab in English. A representative of a conservative synagogue once remarked to me, we have eliminated the second part of the Shema. <laughs> Horrible thought. Just love God. We won't tell you how to do it, right? Because we know, like, oh, yeah, this is like how you do it through mitzvahs. Why? Because it focuses on the needs of the Jewish people when they were mainly an agricultural society in which the reward for the observance of the commandments is said to be adequate rainfall, which will produce plentiful food for man and animal. This is a primitive notion, which was applica- applicable to a largely agricultural society, but no longer applicable in our modern age. He's obviously never been to, like, Africa. Okay. Uh, by the way, I, my take on this—he doesn't say. He doesn't comment so much on. Uh, he he says what he answered him, but like you know, really they they took it out because it's long. <laughs> you know that,
1: no, right? It seems
0: to be repetitive. It's a little bit repetitive, and it's kind of long, and you get mixed up whether you're in the first one or the second one. And anyway, people kind of know the first paragraph because their parents said it to them at night going to bed, maybe. But like, okay. But anyway, he doesn't comment on the possible. <laughs> Possible subconscious process going on over there. We took it out because we don't see how it's relevant to us. Whereupon I answered him. If this is your understanding of this chapter, then you never really read it properly. Look at the words. (laughs) The text clearly states that the purpose of keeping commandments is to demonstrate our love of Hashem and thereby serve Him. This paragraph isn't about rain for an agricultural society. This paragraph is... That by doing God's will and keeping his commandments, this is how we demonstrate our love for God. That's what it's about. So that's pretty relevant. Or at least it's awkward to say it isn't. When one performs the mitzvahs, he should forget about himself and his needs and concentrate on complying with God's commandments as a form of service to him. Meaning, when I'm doing a mitzvah, it's best... If at least, you know, sometimes it's hard until you start doing it. But at least once you've started doing it, you've overcome whatever was pulling you away from it. Instead of the whole time you're doing it, resenting the fact that you still were really wishing you were doing something else. If instead you could say, you know what, now that I'm going to do it. We're not talking about the highest level of doing a mitzvah, obviously. We're talking about a mitzvah where we felt a conflict inside. We didn't feel perfectly at peace with doing it. Maybe it was something simple like cooking. You know, or maybe it was getting out of bed to Dobbin, or maybe I don't know whatever is the mitzvah that we're going to do, right? so you dress so till you get yourself started, but once you got yourself up to do it while you're doing the mitzvah, then at least to have in mind while you're doing the mitzvah to try as much as possible not to think about myself and my own needs, but to think about this is hashem's will, I'm doing hashem's will, sort of Hashem's needs, so to speak, not that he has needs but but let me think about doing the mitzvah and showing Hashem that I love him through it. Notwithstanding this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us in the second parsha of Kriya Shema that if we do perform mitzvahs properly, we will be blessed with rain and produce of the land. But that is not the purpose of observing the mitzvahs. He's saying that's the error in the reasoning. If someone says, I can't relate to the second paragraph of Shema because it's promising, it's, it's saying that if I do this, then I'll get rain. Well, I don't feel like I need rain right? As long as somebody else has rain and let them pray for it. I don't know. Yeah? He's saying, no, it's just that you will get that, but that is not the purpose of the mitzvah. This concept is underscored by Rashi, quoting Sifri, which paraphrases the heavenly response to our observance of the mitzvahs. You fulfill your obligation and I will do my obligation. Now, then he brings another point, which I saw brought elsewhere. I guess we'll come to it again. The importance of timely rainfall to our existence cannot be underestimated. So that was like what he answered this, this person. But now he comes back to the point, which is you're saying that you don't think that in modern-day society it's relevant to feel that we need rain, that this is a big deal. Now he's coming back just like common sense. Let's look back at that. You can't underestimate the importance of timely rainfall. The welfare of nations depends on it the lack of rainfall and its consequences can topple kings. A king is a servant, is a slave of the fields. Even a king's power is dependent on the produce of the fields. If nothing grows in the fields, the king might as well abdicate his throne because his population will either rebel against him or flee the country. They can't stay like that. So either there'll be a coup or everybody will leave. So he may as well go away now. Even the twilos of Mashiach Oh, so this is the same point he made before that the tevila is so key that if you leave it out, you didn't fulfill your shamanism. Okay. Yore and Malkosh. The Yore, the early rain, and the late rain. Okay, but I, I knew that there really were like definitions of why they're called these names. So Yore. Yore is the rain that falls, Rashi says, after planting. That saturates and moist gives moisture to the earth and to the seeds. That's yoreh. It's just a definition. It doesn't explain how it comes from the word yoreh. Ibn Ezra says it's Geshem sheyoreh that indicates that teaches. That's like that's like um, the Medrash talking about that Hashem was Yoruhu. Hashem showed Moshe or educated him. Geshem sheyoreh shanatova. Yoreh is rain that comes, the the first rain of the season that comes usually in Cheshvan, Mm -hmm. and that indicates, it shows a good year coming. It's the beginning of the year, so when it begins to rain properly at the right time, that's a good sign. Yoreh, Rav Hirsch says, uh, the early rain starting in Cheshvan, related to Yara, shooting, penetrating the soil, as an arrow does. marve, quenching and refreshing. And moreh, indicating. Now the word malkosh. Malkosh is the last rain, which is a nisan in the springtime. Rashi says malkosh, this is the rain that falls near the time of harvest to fill out the harvest of straw and grass. Malkosh means something that is late or running late. Based on Aramaic word, and in Amos, it's used to describe a second growth of grass and field produce, and like an aftercrop of hay that can be cultivated after the first harvest. So the har- a harvest might be brought in on the early side to make sure there's enough for the animals, but if the right rain comes near the end, you can get one more growth of grass and not so much grain, but grass and straw and hay out of it to use. Ve osafto de you shall gather in your grain harvest, like the five kinds of dagan that we say Alhamikya on. Dagan is the, the main greens. Visi roshcha, your wine. Tirosh is really grape juice. It, but the purpose of grape juice is assumed to be wine, even though you could drink grape juice. But the main thing of it is that you then turn it into wine. Vyitzharecha is related to the word sohar, which we had last week's parsha, sohar taselateva. Make it so hard for the table, which means an illuminating source. So it it is either a luminescent gem or a window that lets the light in. Okay, so Yitzhar is olive harvest because the main thing is the olive oil. So that's called Yitzhar. There's a town called Yitzhar in Israel. Okay. I think I'm going to, I want to try and finish this Pasuk today. Um, it'll be much faster because we already had the very lengthy discussion of the Rabbi Shom Bar Yochai that comes over here. We already had that like a long time ago, so we won't go back there. But this this is an interesting point. It says Vinosati, I will give Mitar Artsukham Beito the rain and the time. And you'll have your grain harvest and you'll have your wine and your olive harvests. Ani this is the Alkut, Ani Velo Ayude malach I, not by way of a malach. V'loa yadei not by way of a messenger. You recognize that, right? That's the terminology in the Haggadah. Mm-hmm. That I will bring you out of Mitzrayim. I myself, not by way of a malach, not by way of a Sarah, not by way of a shaliach. right? That's by the ten plagues. I will send the rain in your time. Now the medrash, not over here, but... It's worth looking at a measure that's really from last week's parsha. I will give the rain in your time and you will have your harvest and you'll eat and be satisfied. Why is it important here that Hashem says, I will do it? Not through a malach, not through a shaliach. Who cares? Who cares? Hashem will send me enough grain and produce and rain do I care? Oy. Do I care how he sends it to me? Because, really, the thing with rain is that it comes sort of directly. Oi. Oi, oi, oi. Sounds hard to get up. Huh? sounds hard to bring up. So this does bring back an idea that we really learned in Parshas Noah the idea that we would want to have our sustenance come from God. So you remember where that message is taught in Noach? It's with the Yonah. Noach sends out the birds, and the, the Yonah comes back, not the last time, the time before that, with an alei zayis tarath an olive leaf torn in her mouth. And Rashi brings over there, quoting the Medrash, why is it taraf? Taraf means torn, but taraf also means prey, meaning the food that an animal eats. Usually it means another animal. You don't usually say taraf. for uh, Meaning referring to food. Taraf bifiha, in her mouth. It says the Medrash says that means that she was saying something. She's saying something by bringing it in her mouth. Ay, yeah. ay. ay. You want me to help you bring her back in? It's just there's no mucus. Mm-hmm. It's still there. I can't. Just to, oh, that sounded better. Why? Want to so try and lean forward? I think that won't help. That won't help. You know, you know better I than I do. You. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So hard. Okay. The Yona came back, and the message of bringing the olive leaf, which is bitter. I have a cousin who lives on a kibbutz, and he once picked an olive off a tree and said, here, taste it. But don't make a bracha, because you can't. First of all, it's literally hard as a rock. You can't bite into an olive, really. Um, and it has a terrible, terrible bitter taste. It's only, I suppose interestingly, it's only when you soak it in like lye or something very, very bitter and not really edible that it becomes edible, which I guess is, ouch. oh, good which is similar to that idea that it's through the bitter that you cure the bitter, right? So an olive represents really bitterness. It's blessing and it's nourishment, and yet it's bitter. Yehiyu mizonosai meruin kezayis biyado hakadosh May my sustenance, may my food be as bitter as an olive, but come directly from the hand of God. kidvash I would prefer that to food that is sweet as honey through the hand of a person. In the teva, the bird is being fed a perfectly adequate and plentiful diet by Noah. And as soon as it gets out of the teva, it finds an olive leaf, it grabs it. I want to eat this. Well, it wasn't really hungry, right? Why does it want to eat that? Because it would rather find its own food. That's called getting it straight from God's hand. I would rather that than have somebody else feeding me, even you, Noah. That's why it's important here. Hashem says, I will give the rain in your land. That's a much greater blessing. I'll give the rain and you'll just gather it in. You'll gather in the blessing. It's interesting that after this, Hashem says, Venosati, and I will give, which presumably is also... Directly through his own hand, so to speak. Even your animals will receive directly from Hashem, which is kind of what the Yona was saying, right? We say it in benching also. We say, Hashem, Hashem, please don't provide for us, not by gifts from other human beings, but or their loans, but only from your hand full and holy and direct so this well, is an idea when we go to someone else's home let's say and they prepare food or we go to a market we get food is that so okay, going to a perfect. market and get food i think would be comparable to bringing in the harvest from the field and that's called that you got it directly from god it doesn't mean you don't appreciate what the other people have done any more than you go out in the field and don't appreciate even your own hard work and the fact that it came up, but you recognize that straight from God, you weren't reliant on other people to be the shaliach from Hashem to provide it. When other people have to be the Shaliach to provide for you, that's less of a blessing. It's a blessing, but it's not nearly as great of a blessing as when Hashem provides for you directly. And then when you, go, you know, there's a very big difference between being a guest when you have a cupboard full of food at home and being a guest when there's nothing in the cupboard at home. Even if, the, from the point of view of the host, it's exactly the same because one is i have to be provided for and the other is hashem is providing for me directly it's a funny thing because the more dependent we allow ourselves to be on hashem the more independent we are in every other way we become completely in the same way that we say we don't have any fear because the only fear is really fear of sin so you could you could you have much more fear say oh i wouldn't want to walk around being afraid all the time well the funny thing is <laughs> by being afraid only of god and your sins in relation to him. No other fear is relevant. The more, and it's, it's in some. there's times when it can feel like jumping off a cliff to say, Hashem, I'm dependent on you. I'm going to let you provide for me, but to do that means I'm going to give up any expectation from anybody else providing for me. And it can be in all kinds of ways. If I'm relying on er, the people around me to provide me with love and support, Now, really, we would like the people around us to provide us love and support. That's nice. And we certainly want to be providing love and support to the people that we are around. But when we expect it, then people let us down. And then we're all bitter and disappointed. And it's, it's never really enough. But when we say, you know, really, everything comes from you, Hashem. You're the one who's sending it through people. So really, I only have to rely on you for emotional support. Somehow you'll get it to me. You've got many messengers. Or, at a highest level, not even a messenger. You'll send to me directly. That's the highest level. Right? But then I no longer have to feel resentful or dependent on all these people around me that I won't have what I need if they don't provide it. Hashem will provide it. So it's a much higher level, and it's something that it can, it can feel a little like jumping off a cliff to allow yourself to trust it, because what you're doing is giving up your expectations of where it's going to come from. Even though you're relying on Hashem for it, it can be difficult to say, even though it's only in your mind, and it might not change anything visible on the outside. Okay. Barbarhana, Come and see the difference between the earlier generations and the later generations presumably Rava Barbar Khanna was talking about his own generation and he said this in the name of Rabbi Yochanan and their own generation that was called the later generations Rishonim asu Torah san keva arai the earlier generations they made their Torah the main permanent thing arai <laughs> and their work was temporary Okay, I need to do something here. I need to do something. Okay, so I'll do it. But the main thing that's my work is really my Torah. And they were able to... That worked for them. That worked for them. This is kind of almost like a resolution of the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai argument, right? Doros achronim, the later generations, asu they make the Torah the temporary. Well, where I can fit it in, I'll fit it in. And their work becomes the regular thing, the main thing. And then neither one do they really have. Oy. Okay, well, we're basically Oh, good job. Then neither one do they have. Now, why neither one? You could understand that they don't really get Torah that way. But why also not the Parnasa? So you can understand is that when we realize that the Parnasa is Vinosati, Hashem is really directly sending it to us, mm-hmm. right? So then if we put all our work into parnasa and not so much into the service of God, the service of God is where our parnasa comes from. That is how we get it. Even though we understand that it could be you have to spend time on the collecting in the fields. You, you do have to go out and do something to get the living in. That's still called getting it from Hashem. Even if we're not poskiming like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, right? You still have the Safatikanacha. Okay. Now I want to end with a somewhat cryptic statement that I saw in the Siddur Hagrah. So this is in the name of the Vilna Gaon. You shall gather in D'ganecha, your grain, Siroscha, your wine, Yitzarecha, and your olives or your olive oil. And he says, Hi Doesn't mean Lubavitch. Hi meaning Chachma Binadas. This is is where Chabad got its name from, right? They're really from a city called Lubavitch. So what's with the Chabad? It stands for Chachma, Bina, and Das. Probably they didn't take it from a quote from the Vilna Gaon. (laughs) Okay. Chachma meaning wisdom, Bina meaning, let's say, insight, and Das, knowledge. Now, that just seems, as the younger generation would say, random. Like, where the... Now, you know it's a Vilna Gaon, you know it isn't really random, But that's it. No clues. Where'd you come to say that from? Okay. Now it turns out. So I have this note here. Difficult to know what you're going to do with that. So I wasn't going to say it because what's the point? But it happens to be that Rav Schwab actually explains this point. (laughs) Much to my surprise, I have to say, I was not expecting to suddenly find an explanation of that somewhat cryptic gruff. There's a difference of opinion in the Gemara. No, sorry, skip that. The mention here of three types of produce of Eretz Yisrael, is not without significance. So what he's saying is you have to, he doesn't say, how do we understand the gra? He says, how do we understand this Pasuk? Why these things? Why grain, uh, wine, and oil? Why not fruit? Oh, <laughs> oh good. Oh, yeah, I see. Swallow it even. I think, I think it's up. <laughs> it's like a hole. Yeah. Okay. This is why those things. So Dagan is the five kinds of grains, which we say in on, and which we take trumas and ma'asros from, which are wheat, uh, chita se'ora, wheat and barley, kusmin, which is usually I think called spelt or rye, sorry, Kusman is rye, Shibola Shuel is oats, and shifon is spelt. The Gemara says that a child begins to develop das. How do you know when a kid is old enough that they have some das? Ay, ay, ay. Do you want a hand? With the it's tube? It, it's all plugged in the bedroom. So I'm gonna okay. Oh, hello. Bye-bye. <laughs> Who's got... <Scott? laughs> It's so exhausting to have the cough like that. The Gemara says that a child begins to develop its das, its mental capacity, but in this case, knowledge, the ability to experience and know something through experience, to learn from experience, only after it begins to eat grain. This is called das. The eating of grain has the effect of stimulating mental growth. Furthermore, the Gemara tells us that the excrement of a child who has not yet eaten green cereals is not considered filth in the halachic sense. So, you know, when you have a newborn baby, and, you've, and they've only been nursed, then you, don't, you could daven even if they have a dirty diaper. Even if you can smell it, you can daven. That's not called the kind of filth that's disgusting that you would have to take away. Its presence would not prohibit one from saying words of Torah, brachos, and tefillah. That's halacha. The grain grown in Eretz Okay, so grain, now we see, is it associated with das. Grain is a source of das. Uh, maybe source is the wrong word. A tool for developing das? I'm not sure. The grain grown in Eretz Yisrael has a special quality. When one eats this grain, grown in an atmosphere of Kedusha and Tara, and from which the requisite trumus, Maestres, and Chala are taken, it promotes a higher level of intelligence than ordinary grain would, that of das Elokim. It's actually a more spiritual kind of das that can be developed by enjoying the grain of Eretz Yisrael. This is a basic principle, which I first learned from a letter written by my great-great-grandfather, where he imported into America wine and things from Eretz Yisrael because he knew that people would value the opportunity to have Tuas It's more spiritual. By the way, if it's shmita and it was grown correctly, meaning you let it just grow by itself and went in the field and took it, that's an even higher level of kedusha. Similarly, tirosh, wine, from the grapes of Eretz Yisrael, from which nesachim in the avoda of korbanos could be brought, has a special quality. So what's a quality we know about wine, tirosh? Yayin yisamach levav enosh. Wine makes happy the heart of a person. One can become intoxicated from any alcohol, but the wine of Eretz Yisrael has a special quality of inducing a feeling of spiritual happiness not related to simple frivolity. Now, let's just make a relation here, which I'm not sure no, he doesn't ever he doesn't make the connection, which is why maybe he also didn't mention the gra. Simcha is associated, Simcha of the Heart, Levav, when you talk about the kind of knowledge that the heart has, it's always bina. So when it says, if it'll say like um Serf Hashem, with your heart, it'll say, lehizbonin balev. Bina, which we call maybe the insight, intuitive knowledge, mevin davar, mitoch davar understanding something from something else, meaning be able to see a greater pattern than that which information you were given, you can see even more than what you were given, this is considered a quality associated with the heart. So the fact that yain yisamach lev enosh, levav enosh, is, is being associated with bina in particular. The simcha and the bina go together. Mm-hmm. And one way of understanding that is something brought in the Chovos halavavos which I happened to see this week because in the other shir we're up to Asher Nosan Masach Vina that Hashem gave a rooster or the intellect bina, which is bina to to be able to see distinctions between day and night. And the Chovos halavavos says that his second of the 10 gateways to love of God is havchana, distinguishing, which he says is lihisbonain. It's a process of bina. It's a process of the heart, a process of appreciating and making distinctions, looking at all the details and appreciating them, that what Hashem has done. And this will lead one to greater happiness. He says we prov- it's a step toward loving God, and it creates its own reward, because you will be happier. Because you will feel so blessed. You realize you have so much. OK, so this, there's a connection here between simcha and the heart and bina. Bina is a process that leads to simcha. And it's a process that's associated with the heart. And yitzhar, the olive oil, similarly, grown in Eretz Yisrael, used for the sacrificial service, together with flour for menachos. I'd love to see Rav Hirsch somehow cover this, because you could tell, like the different, you know, the mincha and the Nasech and that, but OK. It's the fuel for the light of the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash. Mm-hmm. You know what the menorah is associated with, right? You have the lechem ha'panim on one side. Right. That refers to the physical parnasa for success. And you have the menorahs on the other side, which is Chachma. Mm-hmm. Right? One who wishes to become wiser should go to the south. Why the south? Because that's the direction in the temple of the menorah. That's it. They also say this if you go learn in the South, in Israel, they'll they'll always quote this. (laughs) It's the fuel for the light of the menorah in the Beis mikdash. It has the special quality of enlightening one's mind to a higher level of understanding in Torah. It promotes the light of Torah in the human personality, the highest form of which is Ruach HaKodesh. This is Chachma. So these three forms, Deganecha, Siroshcha, and Yitzharecha, and their spiritual effect on the human personality, in Eretz Israel, specifically, not just in general, because we're talking about Arutz your land, is alluded to in the words, "Let the earth sprout forth vegetation." Tadsheha ha'aretz deshe, which is like, whoa, Mary, we are, back at the prayer again, right? Mm-hmm. Why Tadshe ha'aretz deshe? Deshe stands for Das Simcha or Das. Knowledge, simcha, joy, and or light, or another way of saying it, das, bina, chachma, which is what the Gra said, sort of just cryptically. This is chabad. This is chachma bina das. Mm-hmm. This explains the statement in Al Hamichya, Al Eretz Tova tova Urechava. Thank you, God, for this wonderful, sweet, broad land, Sheratzisa Vehinchalta <inaudible> Lavosenu which you desired to give to our forefathers, in order that, we, that they should eat from its fruit and be satisfied from its goodness, from its produce. This is a remarkable statement. You gave us the land so that we could eat from it? I mean, it seems like a bonus. It doesn't seem like the main thing. In other words, it is a mitzvah to eat from the fruit of the land and satiate ourselves from the land's goodness. In view of our explanation, it's very understandable because the Torah wants us to absorb the produce of Eretz Yisrael, thereby to enhance our das, simcha, and or, as a result of the special qualities of the produce. This also explains a comment on the repeated pleas of Moshe Rabbeinu to enter Eretz Yisrael. Chazal say in Sota. Why was Moshe so desperately desiring to get into Eretz Yisrael? Did he need to eat its fruit? It's a strange statement, Chazal said, right? This is truly astounding. Is eating the produce of Eretz Yisrael the main reason he wanted to enter the land? Like, they, like what kind of condoms is that? We he want to go in to be with Kla Yisrael? He wants to go in because it's a holy land? <laughs> yeah, so he could give karbanos in the Beis HaMikdash, something? What do you mean? Why do you say what? Did he need to eat his fruit? Following our explanation, what a Chachamim mean here is that Moshe Rabbeinu did not need to eat the fruits of Eretz Yisrael to have a heightened sense of Das Elohim, Simcha, and Or, of which the highest level is Ruach HaKodesh. No. Did he need to eat from the fruits? No. We all do. Moshe didn't need that to be able to get these higher levels of Bin and Das. He managed it in his own way. It is very possible that the effect which the produce of Eretz Yisrael has on the human personality may exist even in today's Eretz Yisrael. This would be borne out by the ending, al haaretz ve'al peiroseho, al haaretz ve'al which we say in Eretz Yisrael. You know, the ending of the brachos, of the al is different when you're in Israel than here. I think that if you have for any reason, which is even trickier now that it's Shemitah, uh, but if you have, let's say a wine, that's an Israeli wine, it's worth asking the Shiloh. I think you might need to make the Israeli bracha afterward because it's the produce of Israel. It goes by the produce that you're eating, not by where you are. So in Israel, you actually make a different bracha at the end. Instead of, well, al haaretz me al is the same, but al haaretz ve al you say in Israel, al haaretz ve al peroseha, her fruits. You're tying it specifically to the fruits of that land said in Eretz Yisrael, because this expresses thanks to Akadosh Baruch Hu for giving one the zechus to eat the specially endowed produce of Eretz Yisrael. Okay. So, I'll stop here. But we did, I think we managed to wind up this puzzle adequately <laughs> for the moment. And we can move on to the next one. I'm to next week. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sorry oh, yeah. I went over time. But I started a bit late and also got distracted, so. Try and make up for it.